next couple of Sundays, I want to share with you higher dimensions of character and lifestyle. When is the last time you listened to a message about Christian character and Christian lifestyle? Come on now. Many people like to talk about gifts. Your gift determines your potential. Your gift can get you to the top, but it's your character that keeps you there. Your gift can take you to the top, but it's your character that, that keeps you there. And many times we are consumed with messages about gifts. We've done books on that. We've done messages on gifting. And that's so important. But can your character contain your gift? How many of you know that the anointing can destroy you? You can be anointed, but you can be destroyed by the anointing if you don't have the character, the vessel to contain that anointing. How many of you know that the glory of God is wonderful? The kabad in the Hebrew is the word kabad, which means the, the weight, the heaviness. Another word for glory is the shekinah, that radiance, that brilliance of God. It's wonderful. But how many of you know that the glory of God can also destroy you if you cannot contain it? Amen? So we want to talk about higher dimensions of character and lifestyle. If the world is to see Christ, then we need to embrace Christian character and lifestyle. Sadly, many Christians are not taught about Christian characters and character, and their minds have not been renewed with regards to this. As a result, the world does not have a picture of Christ. I was speaking to Emily's dad last night, or sometime in the afternoon, and I, I said to him, what does Durban need? We're talking about church plants and things like that. I said, what does Durban need? What are the gaps? And he says, you know what, Paul? We need the raw gospel. Say to the person next to you, raw gospel. Raw. Says, we need the raw gospel, just Jesus alone. No frills, no bells, no whistles. Are you feeling me this morning? Say, I hear you. No frills, no bells, no whistles, just the raw gospel of Jesus Christ, which is God's power unto salvation, the Bible tells us. We need that. So what is character? Number one, it's the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. So when you say, e, I love your character, when you, when, there used to be a song growing up in Zim, you know, I love your character. Okay, when you say I love your character, you love the person's personality, you love their disposition, you love their traits. Now, as Christians, we are called to have the character of Christ. Amen? Amen. We're called to study what Jesus is like. The Bible says, as Christ was in the world, so are we. Amen? Amen. Secondly, character is what you are in the dark. I love what D.L. Moody said. Character is what you are in the dark. It's not the show you put on for people. Amen? Say to the person next to you, the show is over. The show is over. The show is over. One of the problems in the body of Christ today is impression management. People go to seminary, people go to Bible school, and sometimes they study the art of managing impressions. As long as I look good... As long as the show continued, then it's fine. Ah, let's not talk about my sin. Let me not confess anything. For the sake of the gospel, we will lie to the newspaper and we'll say, no, 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 no. I did not sleep with that woman. No, 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 I did not. You have that happening today where pastors are having affairs left, right, and center. And they've got these bodyguards around them who say, don't say anything negative about our man of God. And they justify it by saying, for the sake of the gospel, this, this news can't get out. Are you feeling me? Say, I hear you. All right? So character is what you are in the dark. 
Who am I when no one is watching? Who am I when no one is watching? Not the show. Because how many of you know that just two, just two hours here in church, it's easy to be a good person. I mean, none of you are being tempted to steal right now, are you? None of you are being tempted, like maybe there's an attractive female, you know, in the row in front of you. None of you are being tempted to jump into bed with her right now, are you? Yeah, okay, I hope so. I hope not. <laughs> All right? The point is, even if you wanted to, even if you were having those lustful thoughts, you can't really do anything about it right now. Because we've got some big guys like Jimmy who will pin you down and chuck you out of church. Amen? All right, so this is very important because sometimes we think that because I've pitched up at church, that's my Christian duty for the week. But your character is what you do in the dark. Amen. Our character is seen in our integrity, our attitude, our moral fiber, our disposition, and it shapes how we treat people, whether it's good or bad. Your character will shape how you treat people. For the Christian, your character also stems from the degree to which you yield to the life of Christ in you to produce the fruit of the Spirit. I want to encourage you, 2018, let it be a year where we build strong character foundations. If not, you'll be this gifted person who's doing amazing things and the devil will just wait for you to be influencing so many people and then three or four years time, what happens? Everything crumbles. I don't know about you, but we want to build churches that last. We want to raise pastors in this place. I'm going to be ordaining a couple of people um, halfway through the year. I want to raise up pastors in this place who are solid and continue right to the end. I want to raise up people who finish strong, but you can only do that when you've got strong character foundations. Amen. There's a story told by a particular minister called uh, Dr. Richard Kreacher, and I'm going to read it to you. He says, some time ago... I was searching the market to buy a house with a very limited budget. One was found that seemed a real good deal for half the normal price. In Southern California, this is a rare and rich find. Some of you have been in that situation. The reason for the great price was because its foundation was cracked. It did not seem to be a big deal after all. It could have been filled with some kind of cement, I thought. But a builder friend of mine explained to me how essential it was to have the foundation completely intact. So reluctantly, with a lot of pouting and moping, I had to pass up this great deal. I then realized how this is like character. We desire to go and find the easy way out of the hard and time-consuming things of life to get to the point of our day or quest. This happens in every ministry, even if it cuts the corners of character. We strive to shortcut our way through spiritual growth and serving God. A few months later, I drove by that house and talked to the new owner who was quite beside himself in frustration. I think you know how the story goes. It seems he was having a lot of problems with water leaking into his house all of the time, even when it was not raining. It will cost him more to fix the house's foundation than it would be to tear it down and build it up again. He ended up with a very raw deal that I almost got my family into. I realized through this that skipping character for convenience, skipping character 
for convenience may seem okay at the time, but it will catch up with you. So here's the principle. Your character will determine the choices you make. The choices you make in 2018 will be determined by the core of your character. Your purchasing consumer behavior will be determined by the core of your character. My question to you this morning, is patience part of your character? If someone was to describe you, would they say, oh, that patient guy, Ishe? Is humility a core foundation in your life? If someone was describing you, would they say, oh, Debbie Sobola, she's so humble. Has your character been marred by anger issues? Is anger something that characterizes you? Losing it, losing your temper. Is greed a characteristic that we may use to describe you? Your character will determine your lifestyle. Are you hearing me this morning? You know, we talk about things like greed. You know that in the 1700s, people who were elders in the church would be stepped down. There was one guy, he was stepped down because it was seen that he was profiteering in the business that he was making. He was greedy. And on that basis, they said, you can't lead in the church anymore. When did you ever hear that in the body of Christ today, where someone has stepped down from leadership because of greed? But when you study the word, when you're a student of the Bible, the number of times greed is mentioned, and it's mentioned as this thing of, we mustn't be consumed by it. Amen? But in a lot of churches today, what we have is, hey, as long as that person brings money, it's fine, even though the person is consumed by greed. So that's character. What is lifestyle? Because your character determines your lifestyle. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, when we speak about lifestyle, it's someone's way of living. It's the things that a person or a particular group of people usually do. That's your lifestyle. And how many of you know that there's a Jesus lifestyle? And I'll ask you a question. Is your lifestyle characterized by Jesus, Jesus' character, or something else? When someone looks at you, is the first thing that jumps out, them, out at them, oh, that person is just like Christ. He does this like Christ. Oh, what do they say about you? Do they know that you are prayerful? Do they know that you walk in righteousness? What do they say about you? Or are you known by something else before you are known by the things associated with Jesus? Are you hearing me? I remember one person, a well-known presenter on Supersport. We were at university with her, and she became a Christian. And it was interesting because I then told her, do you know that so-and-so on Supersport is also a Christian? She said, you know what, when I discovered that all these guys were Christians, I was upset with them. Why didn't they tell me? It means that there were people around her who were Christians, but she couldn't fully see it. They'd never spoken to her about Jesus. Amen? Is your Christianity evident? When you then tell people about Jesus, do they then say, oh, that explains it. Yes, there was something different about you. We're talking about lifestyle. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of Christians trying to be like the world. I'm sick and tired of Christians trying to be like the world. I'm sick and tired of Christians copying the world. Jesus says when we pray, we must pray, thy kingdom come on earth 
as it is in heaven. So we are responsible to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are responsible to infect the earth with kingdom. We are responsible to bring God's blueprint onto the earth. Not the other way around. So what we mean when we're talking about lifestyle? We, you hear people saying, he doesn't have a very healthy lifestyle. That's not to say, oh, I saw him eating a burger the other day. That's to say his lifestyle, his eating habits are not characterized by health. Amen? She needs a pretty high income to support her lifestyle, to support her way of living. And your way of living is determined by your character. You hear people saying, that person lives an alternative lifestyle. You hear people saying things like, my doctor says I should start playing sport because my lifestyle is too sedentary. What do we mean by that? Right? The person is inactive. That's their lifestyle. Some people like the sense of structure that a military lifestyle imposes. Amen? The city lifestyle seems to suit her. She's certainly looking very well. I don't know how they manage to support their expensive lifestyle. My question to you is, what is your lifestyle? What is your lifestyle? Amen? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to exegete from it. And we're going to see powerful scriptures here that speak about lifestyle. Because what I love about Paul the Apostle is he would actually give people instructions for living. How many of you know that we need to know what Christian standards are? Some people, very often you hear them saying, no, just love Jesus. My brother, just be with Jesus and it will all fall out. Fall, just flow out, Paul. It'll just flow from you if you're just with Jesus and it'll just all work out. Don't teach people about rules and standards for living. Don't do that. That's law, Paul. You've heard that before, haven't you? Do you do that with your kids? Do you do that with your kids? Do you say to your kids, ah, guys, they must just, you must just figure things out for yourself? No, you never do that. And how many of you know that the church is a family, and if you read Paul, who was very much into grace, he gives the church at Ephesus clear standards. Oh, no, no, Paul, if you just love Jesus, then you will know. Well, the thing here was that the church at Ephesus is the same church where John... He has the revelation of Jesus. And to the church in Ephesus, he says, this one thing, Jesus says, this one thing I have against you, you've lost what? You've lost your first love. Now here's some instructions you give people who've lost their first love. Are you hearing me this morning? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through to 6. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Very powerful statement there. One of my favorite scriptures, Ephesians 4 verse 1. As a prisoner then for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know what this tells me? Point number one, your lifestyle must match your calling. Your lifestyle must what? Your lifestyle must match your calling. Do you know the lifestyle that is required for your calling? 
You can't say to me, I am called to be an intercessor. That's the calling I'm walking into, pastor. But you're given to food so you can never fast, right? And you hate praying. No, there's a lifestyle associated with an intercessor. Amen. You can't say, I'm a teacher of the word. Ooh, I love revelation. I'm a teacher of the word. But you read the Bible just like any Christian. Ah, just quick two minutes, three minutes, and you never use a concordance. Amen? There's a lifestyle associated with a calling. And you have to have first received the calling. Here Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Some of you haven't even received your calling yet. You've danced around your calling. You talk about your calling. You look at the different pr prophetic words you've received, but you haven't fully received your calling. Amen? Paul, being a prisoner, was part of his apostolic package. That's what I believe he's saying here. He's saying, as a prisoner for Christ's sake, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. He's basically communicating that this is what I'm doing. I'm a prisoner for Christ's sake. He's basically communicating, he said it elsewhere, that you know what, as apostles, this is what we go through. You can't say, I can't say, I'm an apostle, but I don't want to ever travel to communities that are going through difficulties, but I don't ever want to challenge the system and challenge the culture. I can't say, oh, I'm an apostle, but I'm, I'm, I, I'm avoiding persecution. You can't say that. There's a package that goes with your calling. Do you know what that package is? Amen? The reward of walking in your calling far surpasses the lifestyle adjustment you'll have to make. Ask the Lord this morning, Lord, what is the lifestyle adjustment I have to make in order to fulfill my calling? Because there will be that adjustment. And the people who end up fulfilling their calling were the ones who embraced the character that goes with their calling and the lifestyle that goes with their calling. Do you know what it is for yourself? Amen? You can't say, no, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, I'm a stay-at-home mom. That's, that's my calling. But you're always crying out to get space from your kids. I love being a stay-at-home mom except for the kid part. <laughs> you can't say, I'm called to be a pastor. But you know what? I like teaching and preaching, but the people, the people. I love pastoring, but the people side of things, oh, 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 I don't like it. <laughs> It's like a shepherd saying, I don't like sheep. <laughs> Amen? It's actually better to actually acknowledge that, you know what? This calling is too difficult for me. Let me do something else. It's actually better than to pretend that you're walking in the calling, but you're not embracing the lifestyle that goes with the calling. Amen? Amen. Number two, walk in love. Walk in love. There's a second instruction we see coming from Paul the Apostle. I said at the wedding last night, there's a difference between love and love. Amen? We're not talking about love. We're talking about love. Now watch this. In verse 2, it says, be completely humble. Not half humble. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Very powerful statement there. Amen? We want to be a church that's known for its character. People can come and they can see miracles happening. They can see all sorts of things. But we want to be known that these people are like Jesus. These people act like Jesus. Amen? 
I'm tired of the body of Christ. People saying like, oh, but then this happened. But then those people had their breakthrough. But then such and such happened. But there's no character backing it up. Amen. Right? So here he says, he talks about walking in love. Let me, let me just unpack this a little bit. You see, this statement in verse 2 is showing us that love is largely characterized by humility, patience, and gentleness. Can you see the way it's couched here? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit. What is humility? The definition of humility is lowliness in mind. If you look biblically, and if you haven't got the book, please get it. One of my books is it's on humility, the school of humility. All right, from Amazon, you can get that. All right, it's lowliness of mind. It doesn't say lowliness of behavior. You can act humble, but not be humble. Are you hearing me this morning? You can act humble, but not be humble. You can go and you can call people, hey, chief, hey, chief, and call them nice, fancy titles. We like that on the African continent. But it's just a facade. It's one thing to be humble, to be lowly in mind. It's another thing to act humble and just have a show. Amen. Lowliness of mind is essentially an inner attitude. What is patient? Patient. In the Greek, it's an interesting word. It's makrothumos. Makro means long distance, right? Like going far. It's like far right and thumos it's an interesting word it speaks of heated or passion right so it's experiencing the heat for long that's what the word patient there is that's why you'll see in some translations it actually says long suffering can you suffer for long when i was when i was running with my kids over a few k's for a couple of the weeks going it was difficult for me because i was with one of my boys and he had a he had a sore leg and so I was thinking, cool, we're going to run for a few Ks, let's go for it in the park run. But what happened was at a certain point, after about a K, he stopped and I had to walk with him. And I mean, if you know that sometimes if you really want to run and you feel like, but I can fly past some of these people, you need patience. That's why the Bible says, be patient with the weaker brethren. Be willing to suffer long with them. Amen. Be willing to feel the heat for a long time. And here I'm seeing these big guys, old guys, passing us and we're walking. I needed patience. Amen? Is your life characterized by patience? Macro thumos. The next is gentleness. This is meekness. This is strength and power under control. This is mildness. You know that you are careful how you speak to someone else. Let's say you're correcting them. If you're a gentle person, because you're acknowledging that you are also weak and you could also stumble in that area. Very often people who lose their temper and blast everyone, there's a root of pride in them. Have you noticed that? There's actually a root of pride. And that root of pride is this. I am not conscious of my own frailty. In the book of Galatians, and we'll be doing, my wife will be taking you through a powerful series in some coming weeks on the book of Galatians. But in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, it's interesting. It says, if someone sins, if you catch a brother in some kind of sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. But do it in what? In gentleness 
right? Lest you too fall. If ever I have an issue with my wife, one of the things I've been training myself to do is to ask myself, but Paul, the very thing you want to challenge her on, are you good in that particular area? And ladies and gentlemen, I can't think of any area I can challenge her on where I myself am sorted in that thing. Amen? When we're conscious of our own frailty, we become gentle people and we deal with people with gentleness. Amen? There's a link between pride and losing your temper and blasting people. That's why Jesus says, before you take that speck out of your brother's eye, what should you do? Just suss out and you might see there's a beam in your own eye, a plank in your own eye. Amen. What is this word love talking about? Where it says, bearing with one another in love. It's God's love. It's the word agape. It's talking about God's love. You know, the big key to understanding agape is to realize that it can be known from the actions it prompts. When you say, I have agape for you, Gabriel, I have agape for you, I have agape for you, it will be seen in the actions prompted by agape. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's where we unpack it. Remember, Paul is the same writer, isn't he? So when Paul is saying, bear up with each other in love, let's look at what Paul is thinking of when he thinks of being loving. And we can see that in 1 Corinthians, can't we? Right? He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 7, he says, love is patient. Can you see a link? It's the same thing we're talking about. In his mind, when he says, bear up with each other in love, he's already spoken about patience here. And elsewhere, he says, love is patient. That's what it looks like. When you see that mom who's got that special needs child, and you're thinking, that must be tough, that must be tough. You're saying it must be really tough because you don't necessarily have the same love she has for her child. I was speaking to someone, uh, a friend of ours who's got, um, a friend of mine who's got a child who's got spinner bifida. All right, and this child is on, um, he uses a wheelchair. He's about 12 years of age, turning 12 this year. And she says, sometimes we forget that this is his condition. This child sometimes says, mom, mom, why can't I be like the other boys? Why can't I be? So I look at the situation and I'm thinking it must be tough. And of course it's tough. And fortunately, she's got great support, a loving husband. Many people who've got handicapped children, I don't know if you guys know, but many times the marriages break down particularly because the husbands can't cope with the stress. One of the things that causes marital breakdown is actually stress. But somehow she's got the patience that goes with agape, the macrothumos that goes with agape, the long suffering, feeling the heat for a long time. That's what love does. Amen? Amen. Let's pray that God makes us a loving church. Love is kind. That's a powerful word, kind. You know what the word kind there speaks of? If you unpack that word, it actually speaks of being resourceful. You know the kind of person who always makes a plan? You pitch up at their house, there's no food, but they're like, oh, let me make a plan. That's what kindness speaks on. It's talking about being serviceable. It's talking about being gracious. It's actually linked to a word for being gracious to someone. When you show them kindness. That's why you read in scripture, it says, he showed such and such a person kindness. It's, it's often linked with the word mercy. The other person didn't deserve it, but the person was then pardoned. I showed you kindness by giving you this, giving you that, that you didn't deserve. 
How many of you would describe yourself as a kind person? I always love it when my kids say that. When they say, I hope I get teacher so-and-so this year because she's kind. Children can pick up kindness. How many of you as parents will describe yourselves as kind? Amen? So as love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. You know why it doesn't envy? Because it desires the best in the other person. So if I see Kathy has got some kind of breakthrough, if I truly love Kathy with agape love, I am so consumed by being happy for Kathy, there's no room for envy. Some of you, you see your brother in Christ pitching up in his new ride, and already I've had people saying like, oh, when I saw your ride, it cut me up. It cut me. And I was a bit confused because it was in a church setting. And I was like, says that's what I've always wanted to have. You can still have it. You can also have it. There are many. Amen? When you desire goodness for someone, right? That's what love does. Those of you who want to get married, how many of you were rejoicing when you saw Emily in her wedding dress? Let me share. Are there only two people that want to get married or that were happy? Okay. Three, four, five, six, right? That's very powerful. How many of you know that there's a link between celebration and honor of a particular thing and having that thing imparted to you? One of the reasons why blessings are blocked from us is because we are envious of those who are already walking in the very thing we want to walk in. Amen? You, you understand that revelation, right? If I want to understand the construction industry, Great power is actually released when I show honor to someone who's graced in that particular area. You get what you appreciate. You get what you honor. Otherwise, your prayers are confused. Because what happens is you say, God, God, I want to be married. I want to be married. And there, he's wanting to give you that breakthrough. Oh, there, he's wanting to... And then now when someone else is married, you're envious. You're like, oh, oh, oh. You've just confused heaven. You have. You're double-minded. Heaven is now like, wait a minute, you're praying for marriage, but now it seems like you hate marriage because in this context of your sister, you hate it. With the same measure you judge, you'll be judged. Amen? Let's walk in love. Let's, look at, let's, let's keep looking at this. It says, love, it does not envy, it does not boast, Always correcting my kids around this, eh? Boasting. Left them at home last night and I said, guys, thank you for looking after the house while we were away. Thank you. Well done. And I was speaking specifically to one of my sons and so on. And he was very quick to say, I did most of the work. Yeah, I had to tell my brother this is the... Who gets the glory? <laughs> I keep saying that to them. Who's being worshipped now? It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Where does the word dis come from? Disrespect, right? Why are you disrespecting me? Why are you dishonoring me? It does not dishonor others. It, does, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love is not easily provoked to anger. That's why sometimes if you're a loving person, people will come to you and they'll say, how come you weren't upset when so-and-so did this to you? How come you, ooh, I would have punched them. If someone says that, ooh, ooh, have you noticed when you love someone, you don't react in certain ways? That's why some people will, will look at you and they'll say, Ah, your child said what to you? But because you love the child, 
what happens? You're not easily angered. Things that would push someone else's buttons don't push yours. Love is not easily provoked to anger. Amen. Some of you, if you've got an angry spouse, you can use that one. You can say, yeah, the pastor was preaching, remember? And he said that. I know people like using that pastoral authority. Someone at the wedding yesterday was doing that. Yeah, no, I wish my husband were there because they would have heard you saying it. And, all right? Sometimes that backfires. Amen. Is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. We can unpack that. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. If you love God, you will not rejoice in evil, even when you see evil in movies. I still remember going to the movies some time back when I was a young, young, unmarried man. I remember going with a group of people, and we went to watch a particular movie, and there were a number of us when we were Christians there. And I still remember there was a scene where a guy made a statement to do with fornication, right? And he made it in quite a sort of fancy way in terms of what he wanted to do with a particular lady. And he said, he's a famous actor, okay? And he says, my duty is to serve your... Sort of rhymes with that, okay, in terms of her body. And I still remember, and I was just listening to this, and when I, when I see stuff like that, I'm kind of like, whoa. But this guy who was with me, strong Christian leader, he was like, hey, whoa, whoa, my duty is to serve you. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. He was rejoicing in evil. And after that, he backslid. He's come back to the Lord now, but he backslid in the process in that particular area. Are you hearing me? The starting point is what do you rejoice in? It's not just the outward act. What do you celebrate? It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. My question to you this morning, saints, is your life characterized by these qualities? Do you speak the truth in love to the people you say you love? Because what I often hear is people will say, oh, you know what, I love her too much to tell her the truth. I know I want to protect her so I can't tell her the truth. How many of you would say you've got friendships that are characterized by rejoicing in the truth? If you've got friends right now who can never tell you the truth, then I'm, I've got question marks around those friendships. Amen? Oh, I like so-and-so because they always tell me what they, want, what, I, what they think I want to hear. Not a good friend. Amen? Are you surrounded by friends where you can tell them the truth or do they always react and ignore you when you tell them the truth? That means that friend isn't rejoicing in truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Amen? We're talking about character and lifestyle. You see, you grow in love when you realize that we have the same father. Isn't it powerful if you unpack the scripture? Let me just show you. It says, make every effort, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Some people act like the hired holy man from the north. Like somehow they've got access to a superior holy spirit than everyone else. Have you noticed that? And we treat them like that because we like to have heroes. 
But here in scripture, we see something so powerful. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. That stops racism right there. There is one body and one spirit. There are no different Holy Spirits for different people. Amen? There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. I love this, verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We've got one Father, ladies and gentlemen. Say to the person next to you, one Father. That is a very powerful statement. So you cannot think you're superior to another ethnic group because you all have the same father. Amen? Amen. The word father, one of its meanings is originator or source. In other words, it's where we come from. And we all come from him. Amen. The Bible tells us and is very clear that when, when God formed Adam, he formed him from where? Out of the... Out of the ground, out of the ground, dirt. So don't be so proud of, oh, I am this color. And oh, oh, oh you're not quite the right color. And oh, look at my color. Oh, I just, we all came from the ground. Then it says something so powerful. It says, God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. So where does our life come from? God. You grow in love when you realize that we have the same father and we are part of the same body. How can you be racist when you have this revelation? Amen? And please don't just think, I know a lot of black people think only white people can be racist. No, we all know that there's a lot of tribalism. Amen? A lot of ethnic elements. Xenophobia. Mahwere khwere. All those mahwere khwere from the... Hey? We have one Father. Amen. Number three, remain grounded. Remain what? Remain grounded. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, then we will no longer be infants. Talking spiritually. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. This is one of the reasons why people church hop. This is one of the reasons why people treat churches like it's McDonald's or Steers. Hey guys, after church, what are we going to have today? Steers. Next week, what are we going to have today? Huh? Nando's. Okay. People treat church like that. Because they want to go where their ears are going to be tickled. If you're that kind of person, it must stop. Amen? Because it's a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of immaturity. Where you hear one preacher on TV saying this, and you're swayed. Why? You're not grounded in the word. And these are, this is one of the battles that Paul the Apostle had to deal with. Because he would establish churches, he would teach them the true gospel, and then after a while he's like, come on guys, who's bewitched you? What's happening? What are they teaching you now? Amen? Let me just say this to you. Let me just say this to you. Whenever you listen to a preacher preach, okay, ask yourself, how is this going to build my character and in particular the character of Christ in me? Ask yourself that question. 
So if you have someone saying, guys, 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 if you pay this many thousand rand and you come to my conference in three months, ladies, you will be married in three months. Now, here's the problem I have with that. Because if you haven't met a dude yet, I don't know if I would encourage you to be married to that dude in three months. Do you even know the person? So ask yourself, the thing I'm doing, how is it reinforcing Christian character? Amen? Some people will run after certain things. Oh, there's the 24-hour miracle over there. And it appeals to our greed. It appeals to our lack of patience. Because we don't want to build wealth one step at a time. Amen? So we want it, and we want it now. So of course, crowds come. 24 But I've been in situations where people afterwards are like, Oh, pastor, pastor, what happened to my 24-hour miracles? It's now about two months. My 24-hour miracle hasn't yet happened. I'll tell you why it hasn't happened. They're conditions. Say the person next to you, they're conditions. You see, we can pray right now, and those who are single and want to get married, we can make a decree and rebuke a spirit if there's a spirit that's blocking in that particular area. We can do that. But better still is to then teach you certain principles. Maybe some of you are shy and you avoid guys. Maybe you reject yourself before you can be rejected. Maybe there are inner vows that you've made that have blocked that. We can do all of that. But how many of you know that each of you has a different story? There can't be a blanket thing to say like, huh? within three months, all of you, just line up here, line up here, and also pay the X amount. Okay? The Bible says freely I have been given. Freely you've been given. Freely give. There's no charge. Are you hearing me? Remain grounded. Don't be deceived. God has a process. Amen? You see, what has happened on the continent is we become like sangomas or witch doctors. We still have that mindset of sangomas and witch doctors, and now we put that onto men of God and women of God in the few cases, right? That's what happens. So now you see all these signposts up where they say, oh, herbalist will wipe away all your traffic fines. I wish, I wish my traffic fines were all wiped away somehow. But let, let me ask you a question, how? I'd rather someone comes to me and says, just be very careful and disciplined as you are driving. Driving fast is dangerous. And if you keep driving fast and not being aware of the speed signs and going 120, but it's a 60 kilometer zone, you will get more and more traffic fines because there are consequences to your driving. As opposed to come to this herbalist and you will see all your traffic fines wiped away. Now that same, now we look at that and we don't go there as Christians. But if a man of God in a church is doing that, we're like, ah, this looks nice, it's sophisticated. But it's not always by the Spirit of God. Amen? So just be careful and be mature about these particular things. Alright? The Bible says test all spirits. Test all Spirits. Number four, speak the truth in love. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, and that is Christ. How do we grow? By speaking the truth in love. There's no growth without truth. 
Amen? Say the person next to you, there's no growth without truth. And the problem today is people don't want to hear the truth. People want their ears tickled. Give me a motivational message. Pastors are going, guys, what do you want to hear? What stuff do you want to hear? I just want to know how to make my million very quickly. Okay, let's do a conference. How to make your million in two months. Amen? No, speak the truth in love. What did the Lord speak to me? No, people need to hear about Christian character. Amen? Speak the truth in love. Choose friends that will tell you the truth. How many of you know that Satan is the father of lies, the Bible says? Please listen very carefully. Satan is the father of lies. So whenever there are lies, whenever you've got a friend who lies a lot, know that the devil is nearby. Satan is the originator of lies. Sometimes people who've got a lying problem, you'll hear them actually saying, no, but I didn't lie, no, but I didn't say it. And you know that sometimes they're actually telling the truth because it was the demon that was speaking through them. There was a lying spirit that had affected them and influenced them. That's why a lot of people who are compulsive liars, in their minds they actually think, no, it's fine. They'll fabricate a story and, and you're like, but how can the person be such a strong intercessor doing this and this and this? They're bound by a lying spirit and, the, and Satan is the father of lies, he's the originator of lies. If you know someone who lies a lot, I can tell you right now, there's a demon nearby. Amen? There was a guy I was at school with, and he was involved in the Christian group even after I'd left the school, and he ended up leading that particular group at a certain point. And I remember going to a, a Christian camp, and I was preaching at this camp, and afterwards people were coming up for prayer. And I said to this guy, please understand, this is a guy who was leading revival at the particular school. I said, so what can I pray for you? What, what, what should I pray? And he says, please pray for me. I'm a compulsive liar. And I said to him, what do you lie about? And he says, I make up stories. We were at a boarding school. And he says, you know what? When I come back from the holiday, I fabricate stories about what happened in the holiday. This is a guy who was leading revival at the school. I make up stories. I said, why do you do this? In order to be accepted by everyone. You see, very often when you've got a stronghold in your mind, when you've got a root or a wound of rejection, it opens a door to other things. Be very careful about the wounds you have and make sure you get healed from those particular wounds. Amen? Amen. Speak the truth in love. I love the way it says we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body. God wants us to be mature in every respect, not some. Not some respects. What happens if you only feed your kids meat? What happens if you only give them burgers? What happens to them? They don't become, they don't grow in every respect. They don't have a balanced diet. They might have lots of protein, but they don't have the other stuff. Amen? That's what's happening in the body of Christ today. People look like they're mature because they're strong prayer warriors who can pray for six hours just going for it. But they're not mature in every respect. And we tend to judge people based on maturity in one respect, not others. Amen? And so here we see in scripture, it says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect. How many of you want to be mature this year in every respect, not just some? Right? The body, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Number five. Know your work and do it in love. Know what your work in the Lord is 
and do it in love. In Ephesians 4 verse 16, it says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, which we've spoken about. How? As each part does its work. Does it say some parts? But we found that in the church, very often it's 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. But how do we grow as a body to full maturity? It's only when each part is doing its work. You know what this shows me? Every single person here in this room has got a work to do. Some of you know what your work is in this local church. Some of you don't. And some of you don't care. Here's the thing. There's the great white throne judgment. There's the white throne judgment, okay? Where the people who are saved, certain results of that. Unsaved, certain results of that. White throne judgment. But there's what's called the judgment seat of Christ, where we're rewarded according to our works. And how many of you know that if you don't know what your work is, that's no excuse. You can't say, but I didn't know what my work was, Lord. Ignorance is not bliss in the kingdom of God. Amen? So some of you are in limbo. You should actually find out what is my work in the Lord. That's why, and you can listen to the messages from last year, we did a whole thing on gifts, maximizing your gift and your calling. But material in terms of discovering your spiritual gifts, and maybe we'll make it available next week. You can come and collect it. Amen? Ignorance is not bliss. What is your work in the Lord? It's not always something that happens on a Sunday, in a Sunday service. Every Christian must know that. Each of us has work to do, not just a few special people. Don't compare yourself with others or become envious because you've got your work. Amen? Debbie, you've got your work. Tatenda, you've got your work. Amen? Sean Anderson, you've got your work. Justin, you've got your work. Mariki, you've got your work. Sipo, you've got your work. Do you know what it is? Don't expect someone else to play your part. That's what happens in the body of Christ. It's like how the others will do it. Here's the thing. We can't ride on each other's glory. We can't what? We can't ride on each other's glory. Some people think they're very spiritual because they've got a spiritual pastor. I know, we went to that church. We were the radical church. What did you do? What was your work there? Apart from warming the pew. Oh, I warmed that seat. You know, at some boarding schools, they would get this, we used to call them squacks at, at school. Um, but at some boarding schools, they would get the juniors to go and, like especially in winter, and sit on the toilet seat for them to warm it up. And then they get up and then they go and then they do that. At least, at least that type of warming up a seat was, is useful. It served a purpose. But warming a seat in church, I'm being serious. I think you get the picture. Amen. Don't expect someone else to play your part. And don't work in isolation. Amen. My final point for today, number six. Embrace the Christian lifestyle that is different from the world. The Christian lifestyle is not the same as the world's lifestyle. 
It's different. Verse 17 to 24 says, So I tell you this and insist on it. So we know that it was important for Paul, what he was saying here. I insist on it. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now ask you a question. How is your lifestyle different from the world's? How is it different? It says, no longer live like the Gentiles do. I don't know about you, but I'm a bit tired of fornication in the body of Christ. You all know what fornication is, right? In the Greek, it's the word porneia. I'm tired of it. If Christ is in us, there must be fruit. As a Christian, you can't just live anyhow, just because these are modern times. No, no, one guy at one of my workshops said, yeah, but values can change, guys. Values change. There's certain things that don't change. Amen? Amen? If you're living like that, stop it and repent. Amen? Oh, no, Paul, don't be harsh on this generation. They're millennials. Yeah, but the Bible says, speak the truth in love. People want the blessing of God in their life. Oh, God, bless me, bless me, but I'll just live anyhow. No, you're just attracting more demons. Amen? Amen. It says, he, he insists on it. So I'm insisting this morning. I'm not, guys, please just bear with us. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, my brother. I know it's, no. He is insisting on it. He says, and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Let's unpack. How do the Gentiles live? In the futility of their thinking. That word futile means the unproductive nature of their thinking. It speaks of being vain. Right? Vanity. The vanity of their thinking. Okay? Vanity of thought. It says they are darkened. That word darkened is speaking of uh, hardness also. Closed mind. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity. Some people are no longer sensitive to spiritual things. They have given themselves over to sensuality. I'll unpack these words just now so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Do you know that what ends up happening is in the body of Christ, we get confused. We get confused as the pastor. Because you look at the lifestyle of some people and you actually start wondering, is this person a Christian with a demon? Or are they an unsaved person who's acting religious? Or are they a carnal Christian? You get confused. Because you're like, to do that, is the person really saved? Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus must be Lord. The word there is kuros. He's not just Savior, he's also Lord. The moment you say, I'm a Christian, he's now your boss. The Bible says we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We were bought at a price. That was the blood of Jesus. Let's not waste the blood of Jesus, Amen. Now watch this. It says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of what? And they are full of greed. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. So in other words, there was a way of life that they learned. There's a Christian way of life. Amen? That was not the way of life you learned 
when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to do what? Might have been doing it back in the day, but it has to change. To put off your old self. Don't tell me, it just happens naturally. I was just praying for five hours and then all those desires just went. No, you put the flesh under. Amen? Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. They're deceitful. Do you know what desires you have that are from the Lord and which ones are deceitful desires from the old self? To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul was clearly passionate about this and he insists on it. Bible talks about how the world is separated from the life of God. That word is zoe. It's speaking about God's life. Why? Because of ignorance. It talks about the futility of their thinking. It's an interesting word which means without purpose. The way the world thinks is without purpose. It's groundless. That's what it speaks of. The word speaks of aimless, unproductive, without profit and fleeting. Are there desires that you have right now that are fleeting? Without purpose. The word hardness there speaks of callous, blindness, lacking sensitivity or spiritual perception. The word sensuality describes them as being sensual. It's an interesting word which speaks of licentiousness, outrageous conduct, lewdness. What is to be lewd? It's to behave in a way that incites lust. Amen? So people can dance in a certain way that incites lust. That's what we mean by lewd behavior. Okay? Obscene. Wantonness. Okay? Being lewd is self-indulgent flirtation. So you used to dance a certain way when you're unsaved. Put off the old self and dance differently. Amen? Greediness. It's an interesting word. It's linked to covetousness, being avaricious, desiring more, and even trampling on the rights of others and defrauding them to get what you want. I want it now and I want it all. It must happen right now. So my questions to you are this. What has changed about you since getting saved? What has not changed? I'm going to ask my wife to come and play, please. Yeah. What aspects of your lifestyle are yet to be sanctified? What aspects of your attitude are yet to be sanctified? Worldly people have hearts that are hardened. How soft is your heart toward the things of God? Worldly people are darkened in their understanding of the things of God. How enlightened are you with regards to the things of God? Have you lost sensitivity in certain areas? What type of sensuality are you still involved in? What type of impurity might you be indulging in? Are you completely free from greed? Are you completely free from the desires of the old man?
Let's pray. Paul the Apostle gave them instructions for living. I'm giving you instructions for Christian character and lifestyle. You see, here's the mistake that we've made. We've downplayed teaching on character because we don't want people to be legalistic and to get into works. But we still have to teach on Christian character and then we must show people that, you know what, don't rely on your own strength to produce fruit. An apple tree doesn't go, oh, I produced an apple. It's, it just flows out of the life of God in them. The key thing this morning is surrender. Surrender to the new life in Christ. Live from that new life in Christ Jesus. Don't try to do this in your own strength. 